You're listening to Broken Hearted with Althea Branton. Join me for unscripted conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. Instead of getting over heartbreak, move through it. Face your pain and see what happens next. Welcome to Broken Hearted. I'm Althea Branton, and I'm so glad you're here. Dr. Gleb Sporsky is on a mission to protect people from dangerous judgment errors known as cognitive biases by developing the most effective decision-making strategies. A best-selling author, he wrote Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. The Truth Seekers Handbook, a science-based guide, and The Blind Spots Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Biases and Build Better Relationships. He has over 550 articles and 450 interviews in Fast Company, CBS News, Time, Business Insider, Government Executive, The Chronicle of Philanthropy, Inc., and Inc. Magazine. His expertise comes from over 20 years of consulting, coaching, speaking, and training as the CEO of Disaster Avoidance Experts, and over 15 years in academia as a behavioral economist and cognitive neuroscientist. Dr. Gleb and I had a lovely conversation about his latest book, The Blind Spots Between Us. This book really opened my eyes to how cognitive biases affect my own interpersonal relationships and even the relationship I have with my own self. Enjoy. Dr. Gleb, welcome to Broken Hearted. It is an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Althea. It's a pleasure. I look forward to our conversation. Same here. You have written an incredible book, The Blind Spots Between Us. And I love reading. So any opportunity that I have to read is just warms my heart to no end. This book was one of those books that I really had to struggle to put it down. Because Mm -hmm. as I was going through the book and thinking, wow, I've had that bias. I've had this bias. Mm. I'm full of biases. <laughs> oh, dear me. What do I do? But what fascinates me most is most of your work has been with businesses, but you decided to write this book about personal relationships. So I'm curious to know what motivated you to write this book? Well, what really motivated me to write this book is that, uh, well, just for folks who don't know my background, I have been working in business for consulting, coaching, and training people in how to defeat the cognitive biases, the dangerous judgment errors that causes such big problems in our professional lives as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, in our careers for over 20 years as a consultant, coach, and trainer. And I've spent 15 years in academia as a cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist studying this. Now, what really I've been looking at relationships as a part of, of course, business dealings, which are very important in business. And I do talk a little bit about business relationships in this book. But what really motivated me to write this book, which focuses more on personal relationships, it has maybe about 25% of it is on business relationships, but it's mostly on personal relationships, romantic relationships, marriage, uh, social relationships, civic relationships, social justice stuff. Really, my wife had a nervous breakdown about six years ago in 2014, and that put an incredible strain in our marriage. Uh, It was a very serious nervous breakdown. She couldn't really function very well. She couldn't uh, 
she felt very pressured she felt very stressed she had enormous anxiety and that was really hard for our relationship so what i ended up doing what we ended up doing was applying some of the techniques that we used i used in business engagement and consulting and coaching on our relationship and it really that was fundamentally important for saving our relationship and making sure that we actually continued forward and became stronger, not weaker. That's a result of our nervous breakdown because we really spent a lot of time working on our relationship. So having that experience and seeing how painful and damaging the nervous breakdown can be and also how good and beneficial and promising these techniques can be if you actually apply them to your relationship made me realize that hey, so many people are suffering in their relationships. And if I can bring to them some of the same benefit that my wife and I had from applying these techniques, which you know, business leaders paid many thousands of dollars for to their relationships, you know, that can really help them out. And so I just decided to write this book in order to help people out because I'm very passionate about helping people avoid suffering. My value set is utilitarian, which means wanting the most good for the most number. And I thought that this was a way I can help achieve that in the world through improving people's relationships. What's fascinating is in your story, what you were able to do with your wife was remove every preconceived thought or idea of notion about her experience. Because if you, when you hear the word nervous breakdown, you automatically think, oh, she must be broken. She's, it's, this is irreversible. We won't be able to get through this. But mm -hmm. in removing these biases, mm -hmm. you're actually just dealing with what is. Yes. Yes. I think that's insightful. It was a way of focusing on, hey, you know, the old Agnes, that's her name. You know, we can't focus on that. We can't just hope for that. We have to deal with what is right now and make the best of the situation. So how can we go forward most effectively with what she needs and with what I need while I am her caretaker, while being her caretaker? And that took a lot of effort, a lot of hard work to figure out where she is and what is the reality of the situation. And you know what? We A number of things that we realized were thought that we're, we're working well in the past, we're not working as well as we would have liked them to work in our relationship. And so we strengthened our relationship in many ways as a result of such intensive focused work on addressing all the dangerous judgment errors, the cognitive biases that were harming our relationship. And we didn't realize how they were harming our relationship. So there, it was somewhat of a blessing in disguise, at least so I can say right now, six years after the nervous breakdown and uh, having recovered from it and having our relationship be definitely stronger than it was before her nervous breakdown. But it was very tough going for a while, so. Because it's some, to embark on this kind of journey, it takes patience, it takes strength, it takes courage, but it also takes conversations, very mm. raw, honest, and powerful conversations, and also a willingness to show up for these conversations, a willingness to even have this type of conversation. Because once you remove all these biases, you can, you can tell when people are speaking from the bias. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. for, for you and Agnes to go through this process, 
you had to have sit, sat down and really had some honest exchanges with one another. <laughs> yes, we had to have exchanges where what we did was we established relationship check-ins every two weeks, well, at first every week, and then we moved to every two weeks, where we really thoroughly looked at, hey, what's going on in the relationship? What's not working? <laughs> and at first, it was a long, long list of things that needed to be addressed. And we just had to realize and not be overwhelmed by all these things that had to be addressed, partially because of her new needs. It wasn't, you know, our relationship wasn't so bad before, but because of her new needs, there were many, many things that everything from, you know, household chores to how we would communicate about our love life to how we would interact socially as a couple with other people. So many things had to be addressed and changed. And we had to realize that, hey, we need to make some serious changes. Eventually, we moved from that once a week for two, three hours to uh, once every two weeks. Now we still have them once every three to four weeks. But there are many less things to work on and it's kind of more improvement and the conversations are often shorter than the previous three to four hours. But it took so much effort to even realize what the conversations needed to be, what the structure of the relationship check-in had to be just because Agnes was so sensitive and to all the pressures that she perceived the world putting on her and felt a lot of anxiety, we had to have a very structured setting and it was very helpful for her in recovering. I'm curious now about something, Dr. Glubb, and the biases that you speak about in this book, illusory superiority bias mm -hmm. is one that kind of caught my eye. Isn't this what self-help is these days? And I say this because I find my, I am well-versed in the personal development space and mm -hmm. the illusion that like, there's a lot of talk about confidence and, and having, and loving yourself and having a great view of yourself. And I know personally speaking, this is something that I continue to work on is how I see myself in the world. I have recently decided to adopt a bit of a, a hip hop structure, because if you listen to a lot of hip hop artists, a lot of the music is like, I'm the greatest person in the world. So I've thought, okay, I can do that too. But having these kinds of biases is this specific one, because this is one that really caught my eye was this notion that I am the greatest being that ever lived and having that bias. And when you show up and when you're meeting new people and you're on the dating scene and you're bringing these things to the table. Yes, and then men wonder why women aren't spending more time with them, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because you know what? I can party just as well on my own. Give me a Spotify playlist, couple yes. Cuba Libres, and I have got a party of one that really, I'm just gonna have to say no to other invites. But yes, absolutely. And, it, and it is something that is more common for men, but of course, women suffer from that as well. So it's the specific subtype of the broader cognitive bias known as the overconfidence effect, where we tend to be way too confident about our evaluations of reality. And the illusory superiority is our confidence about ourselves. We like to think that we're great people. We like to feel that we're great people. You know, our feelings, our intuitions, our gut reactions are very often lead us in the, exactly the wrong directions, but people trust them. People trust their feelings and they feel that they're good. They feel that they're great and therefore they believe 
they're great and they bring that to their relationships. Well, no wonder that uh, people suffer on the dating scene. No wonder that marriages fall apart. We have a divorce rate of 40% in this country, partially because both partners think that they are bringing more to the marriage than, than, than is the reality, you know? I, uh, I often ask this uh, when I, uh, I, I don't do relationship coaching, but I, what I do is I, in business teams, I ask in business partners, which is, you know, in some ways like relationship uh, romantic partners, I ask, mm -hmm. how much do you bring to the table? And never, ever since I've been doing this, have I gotten a sum that's less than 100%? It's always, <laughs> always something like, Together, when you add up everyone, it ranges from 150% to 400%. Because the, the reality is, is, is there's so many messages that say, no, you, you are a mate. Do you understand the gift that you are? Do you, mm -hmm. do you know the power you have? Do you know you have to step into your power? And all kinds of messages that, that are out there right now. So I yeah. see where that comes from. Because you never, you never want to admit that maybe I am not so great. You never want mm. to say that, right? Unfortunately, you do want to say that if you want to have good relationships and if you want to have good decision making. I mean, one of the most fundamentally important parts of relationship is being able to say, honey, I'm sorry, that was a mistake. I apologize. Mm -hmm. Very, <laughs> and, very true. <laughs> and with illusory superiority, that becomes pretty much impossible because your identity becomes centered around being right, around mm. being good, around being strong, around being powerful. Well, what does it mean to be strong and powerful? It means you're perfect, you know, <laughs> right. to men or women or whoever. <laughs> now, as, as you know, I, my jam is heartbreak. Hence mm -hmm. my podcast called Brokenhearted. Of course. And I, what really fascinates me about you, the book that you've written is so much heartbreak. You, Dr. Gleb, you're literally going to put me out of a job. So, <laughs> so, much, so. So. <laughs> so much heartbreak could be eradicated right now if we started looking at these biases and started acknowledging some of these biases. Another one that caught my eye was the illusion of transparency and mm. the story that you wrote in the book about the man and the woman, they go on the date. The man is like, I'm having a great time. Everything <laughs> is wonderful. The woman's like, woo, I don't think so. I'm so <laughs> done. And she ends up ghosting mm -hmm. this poor man. The man's like, I don't understand. I thought we had chemistry. I thought it was... I thought it was great. Woman's like, ooh, I'm running for the hills, but she never actually said so. Now, my listeners know I am an advocate for using your words. If you're mm -hmm. not interested in someone, just tell them. And there are so many ways you can actually do this. So when I saw this one, the illusion of transparency that your nonverbal way of saying, I'm not feeling this, Huh? It was like the <laughs> choir went off. I thought, oh my gosh, finally, someone understands. Yep. In order to break that down, just say so. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really, 
is it not that simple i mean it's not and that's the thing you have to we have to understand that all of these cognitive biases come from an emotional place and emotions drive about 80 to 90 percent of our decision making even more in relationships i mean i look at business and they drive about 80 to 90 percent of business decision making in relationships they drive about 90 to 98 percent of decisions so when you're coming from an emotional place when uh, mary the woman in, in the story you know, she was so she told me privately I knew both of these people she told me privately about her perspective and she felt uncomfortable with the kind of things that she was worried that George would do the who's the man in the relationship well lack of a relationship right yes <laughs> so, it really hadn't started yet <laughs> yes exactly uh, so she was worried that you know George would ask her why she wasn't interested in him George would say but I thought we had such a great time. You're such a great listener when Mary was getting really bored about George talking all about himself. But anyway, so she didn't want to explain to him. She didn't want to do the to have the emotional labor of explaining to George about all the reasons why he uh, was kind of screwed up as a date, as a potential uh, mate for her. So that was the challenge for Mary. And of course, I very much agree with you that it would be great if Mary used her words. And at the same time, you know, I can see Mary's perspective and why she didn't want to do that emotional labor for George, for kind of clueless George. She already on the date, she was trying to send signals which weren't received by George. And so she didn't have high expectations that he would just let it alone and uh, just, you know, kind of let her go and not uh, not keep demanding for explanations so that's this, the illusion of transparency is a, one of these cognitive biases another illusion where we tend to greatly overestimate the extent to which other people understand us and appreciate us and uh, understand the signal that we're saying that we're sending what we perceive ourselves to be sending the signals that we're sending verbal and nonverbal signals we think that other people read them a hundred percent accurately <laughs> and because we feel that we're sending them we feel like we're sending this signal and we believe that we're sending this signal and we can't imagine that the other person is not receiving the signal we you know, think that maybe the other person is not reacting well to the signal, that the other person is not doing the thing that we are signaling them to do. Whereas the other person might be completely misunderstanding what we're trying to say, what we're trying to convey, whether with our words or with our lack of words, with our nonverbal language. So this is one of the biggest problems in relationships, this lack of in communication, this illusion of transparency. And this is what it led to with George and Mary. So with Mary, the emotional labor that it would have taken her to let George know, no, thank you. I'm not interested. Why do you think Mary had that aversion to this emotional labor? Well, different people want to not expend emotional labor on things that they don't see as promising. And she didn't see George as promising and different people for many of them, it takes more emotional labor. Some people, it's, it takes very little emotional labor for them to say, no, I'm not interested. Other people, they feel much more fear of rejection. They feel much more antipathy toward letting somebody know that you this is not a good match. This is not a good use of my time. They feel worried about the consequences. And that this all comes back from where these emotions are coming from. 
Our emotions, our gut reactions, our intuitions, they're not adapted for the modern environment. They're actually adapted for the savanna environment, which is why you really should not go with your gut. You shouldn't trust your intuitions. <laughs> it's not adapted for the modern environment. It's adapted for the hunter and gatherer environment. When we lived in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people. So tribalism is a very important aspect of what that environment. That means that we are very much oriented toward being tribal, toward being with other people who are like us, who are similar to us, who we like and who we feel a connection to and being opposed to those who are not, we don't have a connection to, who don't have our values, who don't look like us, who don't think like us. And th this is inborn in us in babies. We could already see that in children. There are studies on children showing that, that tribalism is very important for children. So with tribalism, the, our ancestors are the ones, the ones who survived were the ones who were the most tribal because they, they stayed in the tribe. They weren't kicked out of it because if they were kicked out, they would die. And their tribe stayed together so it conformed to, to each other it stayed together it was a stronger tribe so stronger social unit and they survived as well so right now some people have more just because of their personality have more of that tribalism and more of that fear of rejection social rejection than other people so that's just because of our personalities and because of these cognitive biases the in-group bias mary had more of this personality of fear of social rejection, of fear of this consequence of George kind of reaching out to her. She just had a very strong aversion to it. And many people do. And this is why there's so much ghosting going on. <laughs> yes, yes. And I wonder if Mary's fear is not a bias as well. Because what it is, it's, it's because of that fear and that and that she doesn't want to face that social rejection. Yes. So anytime that she would enter into that situation, would that not be a bias too? Of course it would be. It's called the in-group bias where people are strongly oriented toward staying in their group and really worried about the consequences of any potential rejection. It is a bias and this is a problem and this is something mm -hmm. that's ideally Mary would work to overcome. So this is one of the problems. Neither George nor Mary <laughs> acted ideally in that situation. Let me be very clear. Ideally, <laughs> George would have been able to read what Mary is sending and would have been able to understand that, you know, talking about himself the whole date is not going to capture most women's interest. Mary would have ideally been able to tell George, you know, hopefully the day that, hey, I want to talk about myself, but definitely after the date that, hey, I'm actually not interested. Neither of them were ideal. But, and both of them came from a place where they were letting their emotions drive bad decision-making. So both of them have to realize that their emotions, they're letting their emotions cause them to make bad decisions about the relationship or the mm -hmm. lack thereof. And that's something that both of them have to realize are uh, uh, problematic problems for both of them. Is, I do believe that emotions play a vital role in our experience. Mm -hmm. we, we do need to when emotions come up, we do need to feel them. We do need to acknowledge them. We need to let them out. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying, agree. what you're saying is, is that, okay, yes, emotions are present in our everyday experience. Emotions are present in our experiences with other people. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is, is what, when problems start to arise is when emotions start driving the bus. For example, if Mary had had some kind of emotional reaction to George and she just kind of started cursing him out right then and there <laughs> saying, 
I can't believe you're talking about yourself so much. I'm out of here. Bye. And like, she would just storm off. So what you're saying is, is, is yes, emotions have their place, but once emotions start taking the lead, that's where we run into trouble. Where we run into trouble. Yes, I, I agree with all of that. And where we run into trouble is really when our emotions go against what our goals are. So I'm going to go back to my relationship with Agnes as an example. When she had her nervous breakdown and she started, one of the things that she started doing was she started being very defensive. Whenever kind of I proposed ideas or we talked about what we can do, she had very much of a no response to pretty much everything. And she knew this was a problem, but she had a lot of trouble controlling her emotions. And so I had to learn to control my emotions when she just kind of shut down all ideas and proposals. My emotions were, you know, why are you being so stubborn? Why are you being a jerk? Why are you being, you know, why are you shutting down this idea, which when you think about it and when you actually talk about it, you actually like, why is that happening? That is the emotional, that those were the emotions that were happening for me. But I had to learn and realize that those emotions were leading me in absolutely the wrong direction. What would have happened if I said that? It would have had a conflict fight and it would have been more stress and anxiety for her, which she definitely didn't need. And she was coming from a place of a lot of anxiety herself, which was causing her to shut down conversations and say some mean things that she didn't later apologize for. So I had to learn that, hey, I need to step back from the emotions that I'm experiencing. They're not actually leading me in the right direction. So your emotions in some cases might be leading you in exactly the wrong direction. I mean, how many people, let's say, how many people want their partner to get them the perfect gift for their anniversary? And they think they've sent the right signals about what the perfect gift would be by saying, you know, hey, I like this or like that. And now their anniversary comes and you know the partner gets them a blender something i don't know as an example and they're like but but i sent you so many signals about what the right gift is to me well your partner didn't read them so <laughs> you know you might have been falling into the illusion of transparency about being really overconfident about the kind of signals that you're sending and then you feel bad about it and you feel bad about your partner the f bad feelings are about your partner being dumb and wrong and not reading your signals instead of about you <laughs> not sending the right signals and not communicating effectively, right? Which is really, it's about you. You're the one who didn't communicate effectively to your partner. I'm sure your partner wouldn't have gotten you a blender and would have gotten you, I don't know, a, a trip to Paris, whatever, <laughs> if that's and, what you... <laughs> and this is the thing, right? This is, and this is where I come in as, you know, let's let's talk about the, the brokenheartedness of this blender situation. So. Let's shift gears for a second. And another one that really caught my eye was optimism bias. Hmm. And I do find, and I have said this so many times and I'm going to say it again. This was so rampant in the spiritual space. Hmm. Be positive all the time. Good vibes only, high vibration. <laughs> no, no bad feelings ever. And as someone who is an advocate for experiencing all forms of emotion, and I don't label emotions as positive or negative. Emotions are just emotions. Hmm. You feel it, let it out, and it passes. 
anger, sadness, joy, whatever that emotion looks like, experience it and mm -hmm. let it be. So mm -hmm. this, the optimism bias, I thought, again, cue the choir. <laughs> this is such, I think this is actually damaging because what it yes. does is it, we don't address the things that actually need to be addressed, especially in our interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. And it makes people much more hopeful than they should be. Again, there's a reason there's such broken heartedness, such a high divorce rate in this country. And of course, in relation, all sorts of, you know, divorces are just marriages, all sorts of relationships break apart, because people are too optimistic about each other. And optimism bias refers to people being just as part of their personality, being way too optimistic about the future, being risk blind, seeing the grass is green on the other side of the hill when it's even when it's actually too often yellow. And I have to admit, this is one of the biggest biases for me. I fall into the optimism bias very often. This is a big problem for me. <laughs> so I suffer from this myself. Now there's the opposite bias, which is called the pessimism bias. And they both exist in the spectrum where people see the grass is too yellow on the other side of the hill, even though it's sometimes green and they're too risk averse. So there's problems on that end too. But with the spiritual space, like you said, there's way too much focus on optimism and positivity. Whereas in reality, you know, emotions, like you said yourself, it's very important for us to be in touch with our emotions and feel our emotions and realize that our emotions are sometimes very much wrong, very <laughs> problematic. They're not indicating reality. I had to learn this with my wife earlier in the relationship before, uh, before her nervous breakdown. I love surprises. Surprises are awesome for me. I want to get surprises. That's, that's something I'm, I'm you know, thrilled to get a surprise. She has a pessimism bias. She <laughs> does not like surprises. She, she's very worried about surprises and scared of surprises. It was very hard for me to learn that because as an optimistic person, I would present her with surprises and she would be shocked. I mean, there was this one time early in our relationship when I surprised her by visiting her at work with some nice flowers and chocolates and uh she was very upset. <laughs> she did not want to see me there. Oh, dear. Was, uh, yeah, that was really not good. <laughs> I mean, her co-workers were all saying how great it is, how nice it is that I came and surprised her. But she herself was very upset. She just, just, uh, yeah, anyways. So it's something that I had to learn that for bitter experience that she didn't like. And I had to learn this yeah, relearn this a couple of times, more than a couple of times, because it's just very hard for me to appreciate that something that I like so much is something that she doesn't like at all. And this is just one of those one of those situations where it really clashes with optimism and pessimism. And there are very many situations where people don't get to tough, but that's one example. Another sort of example is where people don't talk about the challenges in the relationship because they want to be positive. They think that, hey, you know, talking about this hard thing will cause negativity. And therefore, that's going to be bad for my relationship. So I'm just going to sweep it under the rug. Well, eventually, the pile under the rug is just going to be so large that you can't walk over it. And it's going to just burst open and destroy your relationship. That is not good. You need to talk about issues as they come up. And sometimes your emotions will be right and sometimes they will be wrong. 
you need to feel your emotions and recognize that sometimes they'll be misleading, sometimes they'll be right, but all the time they're your emotions, they're real and valid to your experience. That doesn't mean that they're real and valid about reality. <laughs> <laughs> so between optimism and pessimism, because optimism to me, as you're describing it, it sounds a lot like hope. We want things to end up favorably in our lives. We, mm -hmm. we hope we get the job. We hope mm -hmm. that cute guy will call us back. We mm -hmm. hope all kinds of wonder. We hope that there will be world peace one day. <laughs> we, hope, we hope we pass the math test tomorrow. We mm -hmm. hope and want positive things and positive outcomes for our lives. Mm -hmm. So where, where is that happy medium between optimism just saying everything is crap <laughs> nothing's gonna work out i'm never gonna do what i want to do and i'm gonna end up alone and be eaten by cats where oh. does <laughs> you know what i mean where sure. does where do we have that happy medium how do we find that happy medium well the best way to find the happy medium is to if you're already optimistic that's great you want to use that optimism for motivation so here is the difference when you're making decisions about your relationship or anything else, where you want to use your emotions to motivate you, to establish those long-term goals. What do you want to accomplish? You want to pass that math test. You want that guy to call you. Everything that you want to accomplish, have that be your goal, your long-term goal, the value, the nice world that you want to accomplish. So that's separately the emotions from how you will get there. You don't want to be an optimist in the techniques. You don't want to just sit there and wait for you to magically pass that math test. Maybe you want to hire a test prep company or a math coach to get you some <laughs> to get you some math prep. You know, you don't want to just, you know, wait for Prince Charming to just suddenly pass by and on the horse or something <laughs> and, uh, and 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 find you you want to actually take the time to invest into dating people figuring things out and you know maybe whatever you want to do to have a nice relationship in the dating scene so all of those things and you know you want to make sure that to be discerning of course in your dating so in order to have that prince charming is actually prince charming <laughs> <laughs> so when we're experiencing emotions, how is an emotion not part of your experience? Because I'll give an example. So yeah. when my brother passed away in 2018, I felt a range of emotion. I felt mm -hmm. hurt, loss, grief. But at some point, and this was quite early on in the process, I actually felt joy. And I would laugh a lot because I kept remembering all the crazy things he did as a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, like the time where he went to a friend's house and ate literally everything in their fridge. <laughs> so I would have all of these memories of the, the crazy stuff that he got up to with his friends. But then I would mm -hmm. also feel sad because he's gone. Yeah. So out of all those, it was, and like I said, it was a range of emotion. It's, mm -hmm. It was neither, the emotions were never good or bad. They were just what I was feeling in any given moment. Mm -hmm. So how does an emotion become not really part of the experience? That's the one thing that I'm a little fuzzy on because I know mm -hmm. that when things happen to us, 
cute guy calling back, for example. We're excited. <laughs> sure. We want to celebrate and tell all our friends and post it on Instagram with all kinds of hashtags. We want yeah. the world to know. Mm -hmm. So where does, how do emotions play or, or play this part where it starts to skew reality? Emotions are problematic when they lead us to pay, take the wrong actions. So that's where their problem. Mm. When, so, you know, if a cute guy calls you and you're very excited, it may not be the right tactic to say, come over right now and lay me down on the couch and have sex with me. <laughs> <laughs> Even though that may be exactly what you're feeling. <laughs> very true. But it's a thought. We're going to think it. I know this, ladies. <laughs> Anybody who's listening, you know what I'm saying. The thought has run through your mind. Let's be honest. <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, that runs through your mind. But you don't necessarily want to say it because that will probably not lead to the kind of relationship that you want with that cute guy, right? <laughs> you know, you might uh, see, the, let's say, uh, your experience with your brother. You might be laughing a lot uh, in that stage. But if you know that you're meeting with your mom and she's in a stage where she's crying a lot, you probably don't want to be laughing in that stage mm -hmm. when you're meeting with your mom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's really about taking a step back and the emotion has a role to play in the experience, mm -hmm. but it doesn't, where we start running into problems is where the emotion becomes the experience. Where, where it influences behavior in such a way that it undermines your relationships. Right. So whether with this potential relationship with this cute guy or your existing relationship with your mother, you want to step back from the emotion and decide on how you want to present yourself in the relationship when you're relating to other people. You know, when you're laughing by yourself, that's great. That's fine. But mm -hmm. you don't want to be laughing when somebody's crying. That's going mm -hmm. to harm your relationship with this person. So you want to be able to step back from this emotion and think about, hey, how am I presenting myself in the relationship? Am I falling into one of these cognitive biases that's causing me to make a bad move in this relationship and harm my relationship with this person? That might not be a good time to let your emotion drive you. <laughs> That's very true. And I think it's really about being more, not only being aware of our own emotional state, but also being able, and this, this takes doing, this is definitely not something that you can just do overnight. This requires a lot of practice, but having the ability to take a step back and really see a situation or an experience for what it actually is. Because what mm -hmm. happens and where we have a lot of discord and a lot of conflict is we're showing up to these experiences and exchanges with other people with all of these biases playing happily mm -hmm. in the garden. Yes. So being able, like I said, to take a step back and say, wait a minute, what am I, what emotion am I experiencing? Is this emotion driving my decision-making? Is this emotion the reason for this action that I'm taking, mm -hmm. that's a huge thing to be able to realize that that kind of self-actualization. And like I said, if you can do this overnight, props to you. But <laughs> I know yeah, after- It takes a I, lot of effort. After I finished reading this book, I really took almost a week to really sit with it and say, wow, I understand now 
what I'm bringing to the world. Mm -hmm. I understand now that, yeah, I've had these biases. The authority bias was one that stuck in my head because as I'm in this online space, there's so much pressure for me to be seen as an expert, as the <laughs> go-to. So I need to be the go-to of heartbreak, and <laughs> which is wonderful. You know what? If my name is top of mind when you think of heartbreak, amazing. But can I tell you something? I don't actually want to be an authority. Hmm. I don't want to be mm. a guru. I don't want people to subscribe to me because they literally hang on my every word. What mm. I would rather is be known for asking questions. Mm. I would rather be known for asking you something that's going to provoke some kind of self-reflection in yourself. Mm. You taking the time to wait a minute, just let me take a step back sit with this question and is this going to change my experience somehow hmm. and if i've done that amazing i will hmm. celebrate wholeheartedly which is i love that you brought this up because i see this all the time and frankly it burns my cookies yeah <laughs> yeah well uh, to go back to the kind of emotional expression that we want to come to the table with in our relationships, it's very important for us to understand that the emotions that we have are not the emotions that the other person has almost ever. And this is incredibly difficult to understand, incredibly difficult. It's called the false consensus effect, where we tend to assume that those in, with whom we are in relationships are much closer and more similar to us than they actually are and you know you will discover over the course of your life that the people you're in relationships with you they have many more differences from you than you actually think and that they don't feel the same things that you do and you need to realize that and it's very hard to realize that because we think that hey this person i love this person why don't they feel the same thing that i do they may also feel love but in a different way and they may feel different things about different aspects of your relationship than you do so it's very important to be able to distance yourself from your emotions and be able to realize sometimes your emotions are leading you in the wrong direction that's one and sometimes the other person doesn't have the same emotions that you do that's two and then you need to take the time to actually figure out what emotions they're having but the being with agnes during her nervous break, breakdown really drove this, this lesson home that i need to learn understand her emotions which are very different than the emotions she used to have before her nervous breakdown so that's kind of one thing that i want to make sure to share and respond to and the authority bias, yes, this is the guru perspective in the spirituality, relationship, self-improvement space is so unfortunate because, and it's understandable why it develops, because there's so little science-based, evidence-driven guidance and gurus come forward and say, I am awesome, I am the confident one, and people want to hear that. They like, they gravitate to the confidence, and that all goes back to what I was sharing before, but how our brain works, the evolutionary psychology thing. Tribalism, one of the really important aspects of tribalism was that we are born, one of the biggest cognitive biases is this conformism to authority, the authority bias of the alpha monkey, the alpha <laughs> monkey in the tribe. We are very much want to conform 
to the alpha monkey, even though we might not think that we want to conform, that's what our emotions are pulling us to do. Whenever you're in a group, check this out. Whenever you're in a group, and especially if you're a new person, look when you're speaking or when somebody else is speaking, look to where other people are looking to. The person who they will be looking to is the alpha monkey in the room. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Oh my that's goodness. I'm that's, totally going to do this now. I'm totally that, going to do this. That is exactly right. And that's who you can tell who, who is the alpha monkey. It is very much fundamentally wired in us. So you need to work hard to resist this wiring, resist the guru impulse, resist the obedience to authority if you don't want to fall into it, because you'll be making bad decisions when you fall into this authority bias, when you just try to do will follow the authority of the authority just because they're the authority as opposed to you looking at what they're saying and responding to it and reflecting on what they're saying and perhaps being provoked to, by it as Althea is describing her <laughs> own desire. <laughs> I have now a big question for you. I love, mm -hmm. love, love asking big questions. In the work that you do with businesses and corporations, you have been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. Is there really a difference between the dynamics in the corporate world that you've seen and the dynamics in personal relationships? Because really it comes down to this. We are all human beings. Mm -hmm. Corporations, businesses, we all like to think of them as big faceless corporations, but they're <laughs> really made up of people. Yes, they are. Groups of people interacting having emotions and mm -hmm. having a human experience. So is there really a difference from the, your corporate work that you do to your observations with personal relationships? I think the main, the main difference is that there's a facade of rationality in corporations, a facade of kind of a face and appearance that we are all rational beings here and emotions aren't playing a role at all in what we're doing, <laughs> which is such, you know, BS, I have to say. Emotions are fundamentally important in driving relationships in corporations, just as they are, of course, for personal relationships. We are emotional beings. About 80 to 90% of our decision making is emotional and like I said, more for relationships. So if, when we just intuitively go forward and let our and make our decisions the way we typically make our decisions. And the same thing happens in corporations. You know, it's not only for relationships, not only for personal relationships, but in corporations. There's so much in corporations happens because people like other people or they dislike other people because they like certain ideas or they dislike these ideas. And this liking or disliking is coming very much from an emotional place. It's like or dislike. And that comes again, very much vulnerable to cognitive biases, whether you like something or dislike something, whether you trust something or distrust something, it's not a rational thing. People rationalize, which means that once they make an emotional decision, they try to go back and justify it with reasons and logic and rationality, but that's not really how things work. So what I, one of the things I focus on in my work with corporations is helping folks in corporations realize and get in touch with their emotional self understand how their emotions are driving their decision making and address these emotions when these emotions are leading them into the wrong directions just like our emotions very often lead us in the wrong directions in personal relationships we need to realize the same things in corporate settings or in personal settings 
our emotions are valid and important and they're real to us and they may or may not be real about reality <laughs> <laughs> so you need to always step back and evaluate whether our goals are going to be met by doing what our emotions are leading us to do very often they won't be because of these cognitive biases Dr. Gleb, I want to thank you for such an incredible conversation about your book, The Blind Spots Between Us. Go read this book. It will literally change the way you see and experience your life. Thank you again for being on Broken Hearted. Thank you so much for inviting me, Althea. The Blind Spots Between Us is out now. Go to disasteravoidanceexperts.com slash blindspots to purchase your copy today. You can also connect with Dr. Jasborski on his LinkedIn profile, and I'll include links to both of these in the show notes. Tune in next week for another episode of Broken Hearted, where we'll have an unscripted conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. In the meantime, feel your pain and see what happens next. Broken Hearted is sponsored by Heart on Fire, a new kind of coaching experience. Start where you are with what you have. Begin to move past the pain. Go to bit.ly slash recover from heartbreak to book your free heartbreak recovery session today.